In today's episode of Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek, we are joined by backpacking legend Nimblewill Nomad. The name is likely familiar as Nimblewill Nomad recently made big news for setting the record as the oldest person to thru-hike the Appalachian Trail at 83 years old. We learn all about this odyssey, and he does not sugarcoat how challenging it was. He also shares some wisdom he's accrued over his many tens of thousands of miles on trail, which can be applied to both your on and off trail worlds. We close the show with a triple crown of rooms in the house and some gift ideas for the backpacker in your life. But first, have you ever felt like you needed to choose between supporting the environment or investing in your financial future? Well, Index IQ, a New York life investments company, believes you shouldn't have to choose. Index IQ now offers a clean transportation focus exchange traded fund, or ETF, that looks to do both. Created in alignment with the National Wildlife Federation, the IQ Cleaner Transport ETF, ticker CLNR, or Cleaner, seeks to enhance both your portfolio's potential and our world, while simultaneously supporting the National Wildlife Federation and its clean energy initiatives. Best of all, it's available on any major trading platform. Make your impact. Visit clnretf.com today. Refer to the show notes for important information about the fund and read the prospectus carefully before investing. Zach and I are both big fans of Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. Their packs carry comfortably, their roomy shelters protect in harsh weather conditions, and the trekking poles are some of the lightest on the planet. Gossamer Gear is changing the perception of delicate ultralight gear. Zach and I are both users of Gossamer Gear's packs and shelters. Zach has used the Gorilla, their 40-liter pack, for more than 3,000 miles of backpacking, including his PCT thru-hike in 2017, Drink. He's a big proponent of their Gossamer Gear Light Flex Hiking Umbrella, which he used on the PCT on the Trans-Catalina Trail, and which he wished he had brought on many of his other hikes. Uh, I used Gossamer Gear's The One Shelter and have also used the Two Shelter, which for someone who's five foot one feels like a palace. Good news, listeners of Backpacker Radio can score an exclusive deal on Gossamer Gear products. Use discount code LITTLEDONKEYGIRL for 15% off your cart at GossamerGear.com. Again, that's LITTLEDONKEYGIRL, all one word, at GossamerGear.com. Don't sleep on this, as the deal is only valid for a limited time. Last note, this discount code won't work during Gossamer Gear's Black Friday sale between November 15th and December 7th, as the discounts are already dangerously steep. Welcome to Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek, brought to you by Index IQ. I am your co-host, Zach Badger-Davis, and sitting across from me is... Hi, I'm Juliana Chauncey, a.k.a. Chaunce. To her left and my right... Hi, it's Elise. It's working this time. Okay, second time's a charm. To the question of the day, what single scene ruined an entire movie slash TV series slash franchise for you? Um, this one I had an instant answer to which is just Game of Thrones. 
um, hiking related because we watched the last two seasons on trail. Second to last season was 2017, and then they skipped a year, and then they put out the finale when we were on the AT, which is 2019. So I watched both of the second to last seasons, both of the second to last and last seasons. Um, Six and seven, right? I don't know. At this, uh, just on trail. And so I really connected the show with the trail in terms of it being like a fun thing to look forward to. Um, and I just like hated the ending along with the rest of the world. I'm sure that's not seven and eight, you okay. know, news to anyone or like a revelationary thought. Um, but I had thought that they should have taken the battle with the White Walkers and made it the season finale. Was that what they did? Did they make it the season finale? No, that was like the mm. third yeah, episode yeah, yeah. of the season. Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought that they should make the battle with the White Walkers the season finale of the second to last season and then like deal with the aftermath in the next season rather than doing it the way they did it. Um, I think it was just like rushed and we know they wanted to go work on Star Wars, so we get it, but it was just very disappointing. And it's approaching winter, which is when it's a great time to rewatch it because. It's just like, it's like Harry Potter where this feels like Game of Thrones season, just like it feels like Harry Potter season. Um, and so I'm very eagerly awaiting snow so that I can start rewatching it when it just like feels right. Um, but I also don't want to rewatch it because I don't want to see how good it was and then watch it just like crumble. Um, that really just gets me in the feels. Yeah. Jen and I rewatched it last year, COVID times. And, you know, there's certain films I've seen where I hated it the first time and the second time I watched it, I appreciated it differently or maybe hates too strong of a word, but I definitely enjoyed the film more the second time around uh, or TV show with game of Thrones. I, it was almost more disappointing to me the second time around. You can, for me anyways, you can tell when they're not following the books anymore. Like the writing gets lazy and you could just tell the the tempo and cadence of the entire thing is different. Still f- fun to look at. Like mm-hmm. the CGI is amazing and just looking at the white Walker battle scene is incredible. But yeah, I agree. The writing felt lazy. I, um, see, this is why I wish I hadn't watched it in real time. I always like to wait for shows to end. That way I don't have to a like wait and B like slow it out and like draw it out to watch it. But when I watched Scrubs, I had heard that the last season of Scrubs just like sucked and it was like the same thing where better off not making it. I think the same thing with The Office I was told that for. And so whenever I know that in advance, I don't watch that season. I just mentally tell myself it ended at the end of the second to last season. And I would have done that for this one had they A, made the battle with the White Walkers, the finale, and B, um, had I known in advance, I would have just pretended that the last season never existed and never watched it. Let me jump in here. I was going to give it to Elise, but you kind of already spoiled mine. Mine's The Office. Ah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as Michael leaves, uh, I wanted to still enjoy it, but it's noticeably depreciated after that point. Like, it's just way less funny. The entire show uses Michael as the crux, and you can't just remove that and pretend like you still have a show. I could see that. Yeah. I never really got into The Office, and recently Josh forced me to watch it, so I've been appreciating uh being looped in on a lot of the pop culture moments that i definitely didn't know well i knew where they were from but i get it most meme shows of all time yeah um and then as far as game of thrones as someone who only followed the last season live i actually didn't hate it but i did hate how they um the evolution of daenerys's character i really was rooting for her and that was really disappointing to me 
Yeah. Um, it did feel strange. Like she turned bad. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it just, why? Like she yeah. just evolved for no reason. It felt like. It's like if you're watching Ted Lasso in the second season right now and you're watching Nate just like slowly Whoa, go from cute alerts. and lovable. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. Just like Nate's character. Nate's character progression during season two of Ted Lasso is one of those things where you're like, why are you doing this? I liked him. Yeah. And by the end of season two, I'm not going to spoil it, but you kind of get a better sense of where they're going with it. But I think you already did. Um, whatever. Nate's not as lovable. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Hate mail at podcast at the trek dot co. There you go. But same type of thing where it's like you had a good character. Why are you just murdering them in front of me on this TV? Yeah. Um, so mine was kind of a slow build that I probably should have known from the beginning that at some point the show was going to break me. But if anyone has ever watched Outer Banks, it's... I feel like it has so much potential and it's still really entertaining, but then they just, I feel like it does come down to sloppy writing. Like it just one thing after another. And I think it maybe was purely for the longevity of the show, but I just, it just gets really frustrating. If you've watched it, you probably know what I mean. And without giving away spoilers in case anyone watches Outer Banks, I'm just going to say the scene with the tape recorder in the rain that broke me. So, a fun little bit of TV shows losing their luster history here. Are you guys familiar with the term jumping the shark? No. You've never heard that before? Mm-mm. Chance is nodding, but... No. <laughs> I'm like nodding in like a like spaced out trying to picture it in my head, but like Got it. jumping well, over a shark. I, it's a fairly common term where it generally just refers to something going from good to sucking Mm. and the origin of it actually comes from the show happy days where there's a scene where the Fonz literally jumps over the shark jumps over a shark off like a water skis on a ramp or something like that and uh like that was the moment where people realized that happy days was over and like apparently there's (laughs) an inside glimpse into the writing room where like they realized that they were trying too hard to get attention so it was such a monumental moment in television history that anytime you hear the term jumping the shark it's referring to the fonz and happy days Mm, nice i like when you share you know a little tidbits of your youth with us I was like 35 years old when that show came out so I don't even know if my youth is correct Uh, reminders yes pretty soon I've gotten a couple of emails about this from Uh Trek contributors so we're going to figure it out here soon Uh, we've been on a podcasting binge of late we're going to take a couple weeks off here at the end of the year that's neither here nor there we're going to flesh out the details of the Backpacker Radio sponsorship Mm -hmm. for those who are not familiar this will be this will include gear support uh, gear, I should say, support different things, and maybe somewhat of a financial sponsorship. Still figuring that part of it out, and that will be available to one lucky 2022 through hiker selected from a pool of the Trex contributors. Which right now looks like it's just going to be bloggers and vloggers. Uh, the other item I want to touch on is next year, early next year, we're going to be doing another massive fundraiser for the PNTS in the form of the Badger sponsorship. So if you are involved in an outdoor company that wants to help raise a butt ton of money for our beloved long trails, send an email to hello at the trek.co and we will be very happy to pass you along more information about how you can get involved. Okay, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Let's get right to the interview with hiking legend, Nimble Will Nomad. We are joined by a man with 
tens of thousands of backpacking miles under his hip belt pockets, and now the oldest person to through hike the Appalachian Trail. At 83 years, he's hiking legend, Nimble Will Nomad. Nimble Will, thank you so much for making the time today. Oh my, that's a, well, thank you. That's a fine introduction. I hope I can make up with it. We definitely earned it. Those are hard-earned miles, and I can't wait to detail every step of the journey. But let's start from the beginning of your hiking career, which I know, uh, relative to maybe a lot of people that we chat with, began a little bit later in life than most people. So if you could just tell us how you got started in the world of hiking and backpacking. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good place to start, Zach. Uh, I'm a retired professional i had an optometric practice for going on 30 years stuck in you've been in those cubicles stuck in cubicles with no windows the entire time and i'm an outdoors person so when i retired and had the, I had the opportunity to to get out and go uh <laughs> i just never looked back so my first hike was i guess if you compare it the standards of what would be considered a fairly long hike. This was a fairly long hike. It was 4,400 miles. I had done some short hikes prior to that, portions of the Florida Trail, and I'd come up in jerks and starts over a period of years and tried section hike in the AT, and I just didn't have the time. I couldn't take the time away from my professional obligations, but once it came around that I was freed up, uh, I put my pack on and, and just never looked back. So my first long hike uh, started on the Florida Trail, hiked the Florida Trail, completed it, did a road walk up through northern Florida into Alabama. And uh, at that time, the Penhody Trail ended at uh, Porter Gap, so it was considerably long road walk. But then I connected what was at that time, the beginning of the Penhody Trail, and then a portion of the Bent Mackay Trail, which uh, ends up or starts there on, and you've been there, you've hiked the AT, uh, the Bent Mackay starts there on Springer Mountain, and then of course from there on to Mount Katahdin in Maine, but I didn't stop there. I continued on at that time on a new international trail called the International Appalachian Trail got help from the founding president of that, got maps and continued on into Canada for another seven, 800 miles. So yeah, I, I cut my teeth pretty deep and pretty hard to start with. That first long hike was 4,400 miles. And I had just done this short segments prior to that. So that's, that was in 1998. And uh, I celebrated my 60th birthday the day I completed that hike. Wow. Had that always been the intention to go that far in that hike or was it kind of like Forrest Gump where he was like I think I'll keep running? Okay now folks compare me to Forrest now but you gotta remember <laughs> you gotta remember Forrest was smart. <laughs> Forrest quit turned around and went back. I, geez, I just kept on going <laughs> Julian. So yeah I guess that was it. That was my first long trek. I had not even heard of the International Appalachian Trail until I got on the AT. And uh, I heard good things about it. And 
during that period of time that I was northbound to Katahdin, I was able to connect with the founder, the uh, person that uh, was responsible for creating the International Appalachian Trail, and that's Dick Anderson. And I was able to, to get a hold of him, and he was very helpful. He encouraged me, and he said, I'll get maps for you. I'll make sure you have uh, uh, have good uh, support on the way through. He said, we'd just be delighted if you come up and, and hike our trail. So that's kind of how it all got started. So I hiked on over Katahdin, did the knife edge, uh, the chimney and Pomola and down into Roaring Brook and on north out of Matagammon and on into Canada. Now, most thru-hikers, especially first-time thru-hikers, they get the hiking itch, something that they feel compelled to do for many, many years to come. But that usually happens after they get to the Katahdin or whatever their intended terminus is. Was there any part of you that wanted to, you know, call it a day once you got to Katahdin, or did you know that you just wanted to keep going? Oh, that's another good question. That, and I got a bad memory, but oh, I'll tell you what, Zach, I can remember that. It was such an incredibly bittersweet day. Uh, I'm sitting there. We all were basking in the joys of standing and having our picture taken at the sawhorse there, the last white blaze. But I don't know. I, I guess you can imagine and appreciate this because you experienced it. There were people that you hiked with and got to be friends with and spent time with for days and weeks, in some case months. And oh, we're sitting there on Katahdin and they're all ready to put their pack on, turn around and go back down. I'm preparing to go on across the knife edge and all by myself and and down into Roaring Brook and out through Matagammon and on into Canada. It was the joy of uh, the elation of completing a hike, an incredible accomplishment, as you well know. But then the, the sadness of bidding goodbye to so many wonderful dear friends. To this day, I have an incredibly difficult time, and I had that occur to me numerous times on this last journey uh, on the AT of just saying goodbye to dear friends that probably you'll never see again. Just a sad, sad. I'm an old man, and I, 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 I blubber a lot, so forgive me. <laughs> Does it get harder every time you finish? Because I imagine each time you finish a trail, you understand more what the after trail feels like and how often you actually see the people that you hiked with. Does it get harder each time? Uh, I don't know. Have you got me on speakerphone or whatever? I'm having a difficult... And I can understand Zach quite well, but I'm just having a little problem hmm. understanding uh, your question. I, I'm a, again, I'll just tell you, I'm an old man, and my hearing is is not too good anymore. Can you maybe improve your your communications a little bit there somehow and ask me that question again, Julian? Yeah, I'm going to say it this time in a male voice. <laughs> uh, so I guess to paraphrase the question is, does the post-trail period get more difficult each time because you're sort of anticipating maybe the melancholy that is to come after the hike? Is that more or less what you were asking? Yeah. You can't prepare for that. 
I don't know how many times you've experienced it and suffered it. I mean, it's a period of definitely a, a period of suffering. I'm probably a little easier to be around this time because it just so happens that I've got to be in a state of mind. Uh, hundreds of people are friends of mine now. Many of them are locals here that live below the mountain. I haven't seen any of them for for months, and they all heard and knew I had returned to the mountain, and here they come. So I've got to I got to screw it up and get my head straight and just out of necessity, try to be a pleasant person. So that's taken a lot more effort than it would have otherwise, but that just made this coming down off of it different. And I don't know, maybe not so much harder, but certainly different than what I experienced in my other post trail decompression periods. Uh, it's just something you know is going to happen. And, and you say, well, I'll handle it and deal with it differently this time, but I don't know. Gravity pulls on you, and you got to yield to it. So I definitely want to go deep into your AT hike, but before we get there, can we touch on some of the other key journeys from your hiking career? And I refrain from calling them through hikes because I know you have a different terminology for them. Um, so maybe if you could give us a run-through on that and also your – terminology for these journeys uh, oh my and <laughs> i've listened to some of your podcasts and there's certain certainly a lot livelier more exciting and bounce around a heck of a lot more than this one's going to be with me but I, I heard you ask a similar question of someone else previously and he went through his laundry list of all the trails he had hiked and where he'd been and all that sort of thing. And I'm just not of a mind to want to do that. If you have, there's 11 national scenic trails, Zach, to my knowledge, I think this last year, someone else finally pulled it off. But for the last decade or so, there was only two of us that had managed to hike all 11 of our national scenic trails. Uh, I don't know if you want to ask me questions about any particular one or that sort of thing, but I'm not going to run through a laundry list of where I've been and what I've done. It's just, well, I just don't want to do it. That's fair <laughs> enough. You've earned that right. So I, I That's think, my favorite answer to that question yeah. we've ever gotten. <laughs> S- saying that you've done all 11 of them is, uh, I think, fills that gap well enough. Um, but specifically, I would like to talk about, um, I know you, over the years of 2000 and 2001, you did the Appalachian Mountain Range, which, I, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the same thing as the Eastern Continental Trail? I was trying to piece this together, and I guess if you could help fill in the gaps, um, I, the difference between your 1998 hike and then the hike that you did over the period of 2000 and 2001. Yeah, and you, you, you termed it correctly. It's a piece it together thing. Uh, certain nothing that has been created or has any leg as far as formality. There's no organization. There's no uh, physical group of people that gather or get together and talk about like they would on the AT or like they would with the Florida Trail or like they would with the Penhody Trail if you have organizations. Uh, it's just a um, very convenient linking of certain trails and road walking to connect 
certain trails to create what I uh, I named the Eastern Continental Trail back in 1998. That, at the time, uh, included a road walk from Key West to the beginning of the Florida Trail west of Miami, and then the Florida Trail all the way up and around and into the Panhandle, and then a road walk to connect uh, at the state line, the Florida Trail to the Penhody Trail up here on Flag Mountain, a road walk of some 170 miles through Montgomery. And then here, the Penhody now is complete all the way from here over into uh, Georgia, and it stubs out or ends by connecting with the Benton Mackay Trail that uh, starts, as you well know, you saw the markers there on Spring Mountain for the Benton Mackay Trail. So now you're standing in front of looking down at the first white blaze and you've got those 14 states ahead of you to Maine. And like I said a while ago, I had heard about and became friends with Dick Anderson, who was the founder of the International AT. And he helped me and supported me and had people along the way to help and guide me to finish what at that time was the International Appalachian Trail. So that hike in my first book, I thank you very much. You mentioned that my first book, 10 Million Steps, is a kind of a chronicling of of that hike of the 4,400 miles. So that's called the the Eastern Continental Trail. Uh, it's since been expanded, and we can talk about that as far as my second book is concerned. The Trail of the Ancients is what I call now the entire Appalachian Mountain Range as it exists here on the North American continent. I am anchoring and sitting right exactly on the beginning of what we have professed to be and claimed to be, and there's been no dispute, at least, even from the geologists, uh, about Flag Mountain. Flag Mountain, and we qualify that, it's the first mountain to stand above a 1,000 feet if you're coming out of the Gulf or if you're coming south along the Appalachian Mountain Range. This is in central Alabama between Birmingham and Montgomery. Flag Mountain is the last mountain uh, if you're hiking southbound to stand above a 1,000 feet. So we have claimed arbitrarily, but certainly symbolically, that Flag Mountain is the beginning of the Appalachian Mountain Range. So from here and following these trails I just described to you that are just kind of loosely connected and hooked together uh, in no formal way other than the fact that they're in proximity one to the other, all the way to uh, now, uh, and since I found out that there's Appalachian Mountains, some very long Appalachian Mountains in Newfoundland. In fact, it's called the Long Range Appalachian Mountains of Newfoundland. 500 miles of beautiful Appalachian Mountains in Newfoundland. So the entire Trail of the Ancients, and I've named it that, primarily because, and you, we all know that if the Appalachians are not the oldest of all the mountain ranges uh, in on our continent, on our planet, it's one of the very oldest. So that starts, uh, mountain range starts here at Flag Mountain, and it ends out in Iceberg Alley in the Labrador Sea off the tip 
the northern peninsula of Newfoundland, uh, an island called Belle Isle, 20 miles out in the Labrador Sea. That, uh, if you're hiking that, including the roadwalks, starting here at Flag Mountain, and there's not all that many roads to walk. It's pretty much trail now. You can hike Trail of the Ancients and complete the entire Appalachian Mountain Range all the way to Belle Isle. I'll have to get a a fisherman friend to take you the 20 miles out to Belle Isle, but I can arrange that. Uh, you'll end your, your trek at the northernmost mountain in the Appalachian Mountain Range, which is Belle Isle, Newfoundland. So the Eastern Continental Trail starts in Key West, Florida, at the old monument down there that marks the southernmost point on the eastern North American continent and continues uh, along the eastern North American continent all the way to uh, Belle Isle, Newfoundland now. So that hike, which is documented in my second book, Where Less the Path is Worn, covers a distance uh, by trail and roadwalks of some 5,400 miles. So you have the Trail of the Ancients, 4,400 miles, the entire Appalachian Mountain Range, and you have the Eastern Continental Trail, which pretty much encompasses the entire eastern North American continent for some 5,400 miles. And can you explain what is the International Appalachian Trail like relative to the U.S. version? Is the trail blazed as well? Is it maintained as well? I imagine that obviously some of the landscape is going to be different. Can you just give us a quick comparison of the two? No, no, no. Uh, (laughs) It's not traveled near as heavily as any of the other trails that uh, are involved in the system of trails that make up the Eastern Continental Trail. Um, they do the best they can to maintain it and blaze it and keep it marked. Uh, one of the great, wonderful things about a trail, if it's being used, that is about half the battle right there, just having people uh, running your tread and keeping the tread open. Uh yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole different experience. Friends ask me, <laughs> Zach, what, what you been doing? Remember, well, where you been? <laughs> I tell them, well, I've been hiking the fjords in the Appalachians. Well, the eyes roll back, and that's usually the end of that conversation. But the, the Appalachians north of Mount Katahdin, and so comparatively so much different, too, than if you come south of Springer and hike the southern Appalachians over here to uh, Flag Mountain, they're totally different mountains. And on the AT, you experience that. You have the southern Appalachians, the central Appalachians. Then you get up into that grand, glorious uh, group of mountains up in New England that are entirely different uh, trail-wise and composition-wise than the other areas of the Appalachian Mountain Range, well, that exists on the southern end, south of uh, Springer Mountain. And my goodness, it exists to a great extent on the northern end of the Appalachian Mountain Range, north of Mount Katahdin. Uh, There are fjords in Newfoundland, fjords like you'd find (laughs) over in the, the old mountains in Europe. So, yeah, it's... The trail's different, the experience is different, uh, the challenges are different, 
and the satisfaction and the rewards are different. That's why I'm so enthusiastic about what exists south of Springer Mountain and north of Mount Katahdin is primarily for that very reason is so folks can experience the other parts of the Appalachian Mountain Range that they only have maybe heard or read about. Uh, glorious trail, just glorious trail, beautiful mountains. Uh, the Appalachians are probably, if not the most diverse, one of the most diverse of all our mountain ranges uh, covering such different climatic areas and the flora and the fauna being so different from south here. Uh, the growing season on uh, Belle Isle, Newfoundland is 19 days. You have spruce and fir trees up there that are 50 to 100 years old that are four inches high. Yeah, it, it is magical. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't, I know there's obviously so much of your hiking background that we could talk about, but uh, given the proximity of your recent feet, I would be remiss if I didn't jump into your AT hike. So as I mentioned at the top here that you are now the record holder for the oldest person to through hike the AT. It's funny because I was recently chatting with Clay Bonnieman Evans, AKA pony who interviewed you a handful of years ago. And he mentioned to me that at the time that he was talking with you, you said that you were going to be retiring from backpacking and yet here you are <laughs> now, now the oldest through hiker of the AT. I'm curious, did you set out to intentionally break the record to become the oldest hiker or is this just a, something that you wanted to do, and it just so happened that you were the oldest person to do it. That certainly had a place in uh, my desire to go back on the trail. Uh, I don't know. You understand, and a lot of people understand us. And I say us, uh, folks that put, a, put on a backpack and just disappear. For me, a long hike is anything or short hike is anything uh, less than three months. A long hike would be anything over that. We've been in a category of, and elite's not a good word to use, but unique maybe or just rare group of folks that, well, we call ourselves hiker trash. Really, that's what we are. We're not good for anything or for anybody. It's just this is our life this is what we do. So can you see where the answer to that question might be coming from? I'm just, uh, I'm just fascinated with the trail. I guess I'm hooked on the trail and this hike now was dubbed my last, last hike. <laughs> so for me to sit here and say, well, without a doubt, and there's no question about it, that there is never going to be another hike. I'd probably say, yeah, that's true, but then tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> Why do you dub it your last last hike if you like it so much? If it, you know, if you enjoy being out there so much, why call an end to it instead of just leaving it open ended? Well, Juliana, maybe the time will come, and if you're fortunate enough to spend enough time. Uh, with all the rest of us and with your family and your friends, you may live to be an octogenarian. <laughs> I, I just 
I'm kind of slow. It took me about three months to finally realize, and it came to a very hard realization after I'd taken a pretty hard fall. There's a reason why 80-year-olds don't do this. Uh, my balance is gone. My reflexes are gone. So it's the old it's the old cliche, all good things must come to an end. And I think probably uh, my hiking career, just as a result of the circumstances, primarily my age, uh, this was a difficult hike. I struggled with this thing to an extent that I never, ever anticipated. Uh, when I did my northbound hike 23 years ago, and my southbound hike 21 or so years ago, I didn't, and I was 60 and 61 years, 59 and 60, 61 years old then, but I never struggled, ever struggled with the difficulties that I have suffered through on this hike. What parts so, are... Oh, it's sorry. just the reality of it. It's just the reality of it. This is oh, geez. <laughs> this is what I'm faced with. So the decision is not maybe that I want to make, but it's just being made for me. Got it. What parts do you notice it being different? Like, where do you see the struggle showing up this time? Oh, Zach, can you repeat that, please? I guess uh, Chance is curious to learn more about the particulars of the struggle. Like, how... Did the difficulties of this hike compare to maybe your first time on the AT? Well, again, I don't know. Do you have old folks in your family? Do you have grandparents or great grandparents? And have you seen them struggle just to get up out of a chair? Yes. Well, and they may not. They be would in never be AT. out on a trail. That's the thing is that you're out there doing it, and it's like, oh my god. You know, you forget that there's, you know, you forget that you guys are the same types of people. Well, and having lost my balance, uh, my reflexes, my ability to to correct and maintain <laughs> a vertical position, uh, I fell an awful lot. I've got, my, my poor body is covered with what I call skid marks. I've got bruises and, and cuts and Grapes that are going to take weeks and weeks to, to heal. Uh, I did a header, a complete header off of South Kinsman. Oh. If you're familiar, remember that thing? Yeah, that it one scared me. straight down, and I tripped and went off of that thing and did a complete flip. Ended on my backpack and on my back on a flat rock, fortunately. But uh, I just... I have to face reality, folks. It's just that I'm not going to be able to continue doing this. And the struggle and the difficulties I had on this hike just, and I'm sorry to tell you, it, it just took away a lot of the the anticipated and expected joy that I've always experienced before. So there's just a number of factors, not the least of which is my age. It's not had nothing to do with my desires. Uh, and, and my enthusiasm about the trail, it's just the fact that I've got to face reality. Yeah. Well, and the AT is a bona fide butt kicker 
at any age. I, I was in my physical prime when I first hiked it in 2011. And I remember I was bedridden for several weeks afterward. Um, I had pushed myself a little bit too hard at the end, different story, but so the AT is difficult. You decided to make it more difficult by tacking on an additional 420 miles, uh, which at this point we're learning is consistent with your backpacking career. Can you detail the thinking behind that and uh, also the path that you took leading up to getting to the AT? Oh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. I might have overlooked it otherwise. Uh, that It's 417 miles. The Penhody Trail starts here on Flag Mountain. This is the beginning of the Appalachian Mountain Range. This is the beginning of the trail system. And the trail here is the Penhody, which has gained and is gaining a wonderful reputation. Uh, that four, and it's 417 miles by trail with some road walking between here, the first blue blaze, the Penhody blazed in blue, until you're standing and looking down at that first white blaze there on Springer Mountain was well worth the effort. And primarily the reason I did that, it was not obviously to just attack on another 400 miles onto my trek. But by doing this and by meeting then people on a daily basis all along the trail, other hikers and places I went, folks I had the opportunity to spend time with or meet, gave me the opportunity to talk about the Southern Appalachians. The Southern Appalachians are not Springer Mountain. The Southern Appalachians are over in western, southwestern Georgia and over in Alabama. And so my hike primarily, and the reason I included that extra 417 miles, was to give me qualifications. Uh, and I've hiked it. This is my third time doing that. But more recently, uh, give me the experience and the and the ability to talk about what that amounts to. And so I did. And the word has gotten out, and certainly it had been out, but much more now to encourage folks. Uh, this is called Nomad's Poison. I'm going to give you a dose of it. Uh, <laughs> you're not finished with your hike. I mean, you've hiked the Appalachian Trail, but, son, you're not finished with your hike. You've got some beautiful mountains, 417 miles of of trail and a little road walking south of and west of Springer Mountain. And you've got right now another 15, six. Can you imagine standing at that last white blaze at the Sawhorse, looking north across uh, the knife edge in Pomola? You saw other mountains up there. There's another almost 1,600 miles of trail north of Katahdin now. So, uh, you ain't done. <laughs> you ain't done. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, definitely, um, you're always picking off the most challenging in interpretation for what these trails look like. Also, I did kind of bury this question earlier in another question, but um, – you don't refer to these as through hikes. You refer to them as odysseys. Can you let us know your thinking behind that? That's more encompassing. Uh, an odyssey has to do with not only the physical aspects of what you've involved yourself in, but it has to do with the mental aspects. If you've read the odysseys or any part of those, uh, 
then you realize that using that term much better describes what we experience when we put a backpack on and we go for long and extended periods of time. Uh, the physical and the mental aspects of hiking, you can quantify those to some extent, and maybe to a fairly great extent, you can quantify those. And I was told for the longest time, and I had read long before I ever journeyed out on any long-distance treks on the trails, I read and was told that a successful long-distance hike involves two things. Well, three, actually. You have three planes. You have a physical plane, a mental plane, and then if you're open to it and receptive to it, there's a spiritual plane. And I was told and I read for years that the physical aspects of that were just a very small portion of what it took to be a successful long-distance thru-hiker. Uh, I was told that that was somewhere in the vicinity of 70% mental and maybe 30% uh, physical. And that's just crazy. And if you talk to anyone that may be just marginally familiar with what a long-distance hike is, would probably think that putting a pack on that weighs 30, 40 pounds and trudging through the valleys and mountains of 14 states would probably be the ultimate challenge. Uh, but indeed, it is not. I think that aspect, which is the physical challenge, amounts to very little more than maybe 30%. So the rest of it, the 70, is 70%, and that's mental. And you've got to overcome your little quiet voice telling you, you dumbass, go home. You've had enough of this. And all the other things that you got to deal with, uh, the fact that you're a jerk. Uh, I'm a jerk. You're a jerk. Both of you are jerks. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a nasty way, but just think about how you've treated your family and your friends from time to time and how nasty and almost to the point of being evil sometimes that you act in front of other people and treat other people. Uh, we don't want to think about those things. We'd like to go back and correct them and make them all wrong, right of the wrongs that we've done. But there they are. And there's now, if you think about that, you're at home and you start thinking about the jerk that you really are. You can, you can get away from that. You can find distractions. You can turn on the TV. You can get in your car and run down, buy you an ice cream or something. Uh, you can pick up the phone and call your friends and you can find all kinds of distractions and things that take your mind off of thinking about why aren't you a better person? Why can't you be a better person? This is the mental aspects of it. And, and after days and weeks and months where you're alone and by yourself on the trail, and you don't have these diversions and distractions to take you away so you don't have to dwell on them and think about them. That, that's overpowering. So most people that fail the trail, uh, they don't fail because of the physical demands. They just can't deal with the mental aspects of what it takes, the toughness and the fact that you've got to live with yourself, uh, the quietness, the silence, 
all of those things just manifest and become manifold and, and build to an extent where, well, 80% of the people that fail just can't handle it. So they just go home. Uh, so that's an odyssey. That's not a long distance hike. That's something a whole lot more than a long distance hike. An odyssey is more encompassing as far as describing that. And then on top of that, if you can open yourself and, and learn to deal with yourself and the frailties and the failures you suffered in your life that you wish you could go back and make right. Uh, and you get to the point where you say, I just, I can't square this up myself. I can't deal with this myself. I'm going to need some more help somehow or other, some way that opens up the spiritual aspects of what a long distance hike can, can, uh, can offer up to you. And some of us have chosen to open up to those, uh, emotions and those feelings and those desires. So you got the physical, which is the least demanding. You have the mental, which is certainly the most demanding. And then you have as an alternative and a little bit of, uh, additional joy that you can add to it and a whole lot of additional joy is just to accept the, uh, the beauty that is out there. Nature provides us through the, uh, the spiritual aspects of being with God in the woods. So that's an odyssey. That's not a long distance hike. Can you point to anything specific in terms of growth spiritually that you've experienced on either this hike or any of your previous odysseys, can you point at pre-trail Nimbawil Nomad and see, you know, any profound spiritual differences to who you are today? Of course. And part of that is just a normal aging process. Uh, I guess all of us to some extent in our life can finally pause and take a look at who we are and what we are. We can look at other things uh, that involve our life and maybe find a new and more uh, fulfilling and a deeper appreciation for what these things are. Uh, all of that collectively comes to us and is described by one word. And please forgive me, but I would profess that at my age, at age 83, I've gained a degree of, and that word is wisdom, wisdom. Uh, and I'm not saying that the trail and my odysseys are all encompassing and responsible for the fact that I dearly feel that I've gained uh, some degree of wisdom, but... Uh, that's played a heck of a big part in it. The fact that I was able to finally deal with my frailties and limitations and accept them and go on with my life in a way that I can be happy and joyful. Um, and then to realize that I don't run this show. Uh, I'm part of it. Uh, I need to roll with it, go with it and not fight it. I need to accept the days as they come and the joys and the vicissitudes that are part of the daily life. 
all of that kind of rolls together and I think forms in, at least in my mind, uh, a deeper degree of wisdom. And I, again, don't profess to be incredibly wise, but I think I'm a whole lot wiser now. And much of that can be attributed to what I learned, what I came to realize and how I've dealt with my life from day to day, simply because I've been exposed to nature and I've lived with God out there in the wilderness and in the quiet, uh, the joyful times and and the spiritual times uh, opened up to me and uh, I took advantage of that and accepted those. So I think the trail has helped me gain in whatever degree of wisdom an 83-year-old at the time of their life that I'm in now can enjoy. If you could go back and tell either 40-year-old you a piece of this wisdom, or maybe somebody listening to this who, um, you know, is maybe contemplating doing a long-distance backpacking trip, is currently in the throes of their professional career, and, you know, they can't justify making the sacrifices to take off and do one of these odysseys or through hikes, whatever you want to call it. Do you have any pieces of wisdom that you'd either relate to former you or to somebody listening to your interview? Sure. Uh, there's never enough, never enough hours in any given day, and, uh, never enough time in the weeks and months that we have, and those that we've spent, and those that we still have remaining. And we have to uh, try to make those quality times, make those times of value that we gain from them, in one way or another, to make our lives more fulfilling. Um, it's worth taking that time now. Uh, there are priorities. We all have priorities in our life. Some of them are priorities that we must accept. Uh, we can't go around or we can't get past or deal without. If we have responsibilities like caring for one of our parents, uh, providing a home for a wife and and children and caring for them and making sure they're safe and, and that they're healthy and that they're strong. These are responsibilities that we certainly would never want to avoid. And if we did, that would add to our list of why we're a jerk. Uh, so those are things that we have to face and those are going to occupy an incredibly large portion of our life. The hours of our days are going to be devoted to those sort of obligations and responsibilities. But even myself, who is certainly not very efficient in allotting time that I have and doing things that I know I need to do and and then yet finding time to do things that I enjoy and want to do, we all have some time in our life where we can, um, and you got, I was called selfish and you're going to be called selfish when you say, well, I just need to get away. I need to go. I need to recharge my batteries. I need to get in 
with nature. I need to be away from the humdrum and the, and the racket and the noise and the confusion that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I, I need to go and I need to be with uh, some other aspects of my life that may be considered selfish. So, And most 40-year-olds are shackled and saddled with incredible responsibilities. Most of them have enormous debt, which to me is just profound how folks can get a decent night's sleep knowing that they're never, ever probably going to be able to get out from under the debt that they've accumulated. I I don't know, but there's time there. There's a, a week of, that you could carve out or some, and that time could be so incredibly uh, rewarding and, and productive. Uh, just because you're out in the woods by yourself, that doesn't mean you're not being productive. You're creating another state of mind that when you go back to be with your friends and your family and other people that you enjoy being with, and especially those you love, you can be a better person if you accept yourself and learn to live with who you are. And the time you spend is precious time if you can get away and do that. So you folks that are trying to see that glimmer at the end of the tunnel, there's a much brighter light, I think, than you might expect or ever consider that it might be. One of the most profound things I've come to enjoy and realize from this journey, uh, and it comes to me on a daily basis and, and in so many different forms, and from a variety of people of all ages, they say, Nimble Will, you have given me inspiration. And what that means is that when I look down that tunnel, the light at the end of it's a little bit brighter. Very sage. Thank you. And I can certainly resonate with what you're saying about needing some time in the mountains to be a better person. I'm, I can feel myself being more easy to swallow when after I get some backpacking time relative to, you know, if I'm spending weeks at my computer without any time to decompress a little bit. So I can definitely resonate with what you're saying. Um, to, I guess to bring it back to the AT hike, I'm curious, what were some of the most memorable moments from the hike, whether extreme highlights, lowlights, anything that stands out in your mind? Um, If I must be specific, I'm going to be very limited. If I'm going to be more general about my comments, uh, it's going to be enormous. Uh, And saying that, what what I want to, the idea and the concept I want to bring across, as far as what I experienced on this hike was just, and again, on your hikes, you experience this to a degree of this, the love and devotion and the beautiful uh, times that you had to spend with other people that you might not have normally ever had an opportunity to spend. Uh, I made so many, many dear friends, new friends on this hike and renewed acquaintances with so many, many dear people that I had befriend me during my 98 hike 23 years ago and my 2000 hike 
21 years ago. Uh, the joy of that and uh, the support I got on this journey, there is no way in hell that I could have ever, ever completed this journey on my own. The support I had from friends and and people that I never met or would never have known along the way that befriended me and took me in or cared for me in one way or another. Um, just profound. Uh, this journey was charmed. I mean, absolutely charmed. And the fact that it was charmed, and what I mean by that is the support, the care, the love, the prayers, the encouragement, uh, and not the least of factors of weather. Uh, my 98 hike, my northbound hike in 98, I was on the Florida Trail. That was a year of El Nino. I was on the Florida Trail for 50 days. It rained on me 47 of those days. Wow. This journey, I was out there 261 days. I can hold up either my left hand or my right hand, and I can count on that hand, those five fingers, the number of really nasty, horrible, bad experiences, the thunderstorms, the wind, the rain, the sleep, whatever it might have been at the time. I can count on one hand, 261 days the nasty uh, experiences and the weather I had to deal with. So this, this journey was just totally charmed. So the combination of all those things uh, that collectively uh, brought the joy and the satisfaction and the great, the great uh, final, uh, and this will be in my memory, uh, the great and the final effect of what this journey has had on me as a person. Getting quality nutrition in the backcountry can be a challenge, especially for a junk food fiend like myself and Chance. Enter Organifi, a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients. You've heard me and the Real Hiking Viking talk about how important regularly consuming a green superfood powder was during our 100-day thru-hike of the PCT. Organifi offers a very high-quality version of that, and so much more. The Organifi green juice includes 11 superfoods to serve as backpacking nutritional insurance while you're on trail, because carrying vegetables on trail is about as practical as hiking with a cast iron pan. Some of the ingredients in Organifi's green juice include Moringa, Ashwagandha, a supplement I use very regularly to regulate healthy cortisol levels, Chlorella, Spirulina, and wheatgrass, just to name a few. Some green juice products taste like grass clippings. Organifi does not. The coconut water makes the powder very palatable, dare I say, even tasty. Even if the rest of my day's diet consists of Oreos, I can sleep well knowing that I got a good amount of greens into my system with just one packet of the green juice. In addition to the green powder, Organifi offers a slew of other healthy drink powders, including the red juice, which is perfect for pre-workout, and Organifi Pure to improve focus and clarity. The best part of all of these products is that they're perfect for backpacking, coming in individual single serving size packets that do not require refrigeration. Just rip open, pour the packet into your water, shake, drink, and feel amazing. It's that simple. From Black Friday, November 26th through Tuesday, November 30th, Organifi will be running 25% off everything in their store, plus free shipping within the US. Yes, let me say that again. 
25% off everything in their store plus free shipping. Our code won't get you any extra discount during this time, but if you'd like to let the good folks at Organifi know that we sent you, head to Organifi.com slash backpacker and use code backpacker at checkout. Again, no extra savings from November 26th through the 30th, but using our code says, hey, those redheaded folks who like to walk a lot sent me here. And if you're hearing this ad outside of the Black Friday deal, use our code backpacker at checkout to score 20% off your entire purchase. I also remember seeing on your website that I think, did I read this correctly, that your base weight for your pack was something in the range of like six or seven pounds? Yes. And that most, most people find that, oh, that's, that can't be true. Uh, those of you that couldn't possibly give up one single piece of your gear that are lugging 40 pounds, it is true. Uh, but now I qualify that. My pack, and that's without food and water now because that varies from day to day. So right. I call it dry pack weight. That would be the things I have, the physical things that weigh something in my pack that I carry from day to day and not food and water. What are those things? Less than six pounds. Less than six pounds this hike. What, uh, what is it that you're carrying that makes up those six pounds? Yeah. Uh, folks that I know you, you're that guy that just goes over there and rolls up in the leaves and lets the bugs eat you all night. (laughs) No. Uh, There was an old, uh, young, uh, a little fella, and he was, he lived during the time of the Voyagers, the big French, strong French Canadians that lugged a hundred pounds of gear on each shoulder over the portages up there in Quetico. Uh, he was with that group and he had to, he made his own gear, made stuff that he could carry and get by with. Uh, his name was Walter Sears and his trail name was Nesmuk. And just to qualify this so you understand where I'm coming from, that I don't roll up in the leaves and let the bugs eat me all damn night. Uh, I've got gear to protect me from that. Uh, Nesmuk said, I don't go to the woods to rough it. I go to the woods to smooth it. Hmm. I get it enough at home. So in my pack, in my six pounds, I've got a wonderful tent. It weighs less than a pound. Uh, I can sit up in it, change clothes in it. It has a full pan. It has no seam all the way around. It has a detachable fly. It has a zip closed door. Uh, and it uses my hiking sticks for the tent poles. And what it's is that? Made out of, it's made out of material back then, uh, a few years ago, was such a breakthrough in innovation. It was called Cuban fiber. I think now it's it's evolved to, I think they call it Dyneema now, something like that. But my tent weighs less than a pound. Uh, it was made by a dear friend who had access and was working with a company that was involved with Cuban fiber over in Berlin. Got to be friend with him on the uh, Pacific Crest Trail years ago. And he had me send an old heavy tent I had at the time to him, and he made one out of Cuban fiber that weighed less than a pound. So I've got a tent, a full tent. This is not a bivy. This is a tent. Are you referring uh, to Joe my... Velasco? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Z-Pax tent, right? Yeah. 
Um, also in my pack, I've got incredibly lightweight gear. If you could see me holding both of my hands up, my left hand is going down and my right hand is going up. My left hand is representing pack weight and my right hand is representing the cost of this gear. Hmm. Uh, and this gives me an opportunity, if you'll permit me, to talk about a couple of my sponsors, if that's permissible. Absolutely. Go ahead. Well, one of them, I'm delighted, and I've watched a couple of your uh, of your programs. You have a, one of your dear, dear sponsors, and he supported me for way over 20 years now. Started making backpacks in his basement out in Carlsbad, California, and that was Glenn Van Pesky. Glenn's one of your sponsors, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. It's not GVP gear anymore back then. And he gave me one of his very first. It's when I transformed from a an external frame pack to a no pack. And he gave no frame pack. And he gave me one of the very first uh, G4s that he made. And that's Glenn Van Pesky. His company now is called Gossamer Gear. And his son, Grant, and another employee, Jonathan, run their company now out of Austin. And they are all very dear friends of mine. And uh, I heard his sponsorship and and. You talked about him on one of your programs, and I'm just delighted to, to know that Glenn's just been a dear friend. He supported me and helped me, and he's given me pack, backpacks all of these years. So I'm delighted. Hey, Glenn, how you doing? Uh, Grant and Jonathan, shout out to you, uh, dear friends. Another sponsor is, um, and you might want to look in, too, and see if they, and maybe they are already helping you because I haven't listened to all your programs. Z-Pax is out of Melbourne, Florida, and they're they're dear friends of mine. And uh, they gave me over $1,000 worth of gear to to help me along the trail on this hike. And that's primarily the reason uh, why my pack weight is less than six pounds. I've got some of their amazingly lightweight gear that's just beautiful state-of-the-art stuff. So that's my commercial for today, but my backpack, <laughs> yeah, it weighs less than six pounds. That's all of my gear that I need for tight three season. That would be um, spring, going just starting out of spring or into spring, summer, and then early fall. I'm good down to oh, I'm good down to freezing, a little below freezing. In fact, I had to deal with that in GSM this year. It was snow and sleet up there and i did okay i suffered a little but my goodness i didn't suffer because i was only carrying six pounds any given day so it freed me up to be able to do the miles that an 80 plus year old person can do uh i could used to carry a 30 pound pack and do 25 miles a day i'm fortunate now if i can get in 10 miles a day carrying a six pound pack and uh, i'm thankful for that so yeah, I, and my other gear doesn't amount to much. I've got some foul weather gear in there. My poncho is very expensive. You go into Dollar General, and over there on the rack, you'll see a clear little uh, 
emergency poncho. That's what I use, and it works fine. Just a little plastic thing that weighs, what, an ounce and a half or something like that. Uh, I got a little first aid kit in there. Uh, doesn't amount to much either. Uh, I mean, if you're going to hurt yourself or get hurt bad enough where you need all the kind of things that you'd have in a very uh, uh, comprehensive uh, first aid kit, then you really need to just get off the trail. So my first aid kit just handles some of the skid marks I got all over, over me from this last hike. Uh, I don't carry any extra anything. I've got one pair of clothes. And to supplement that, when I'm wanting to take a shower and wash the pair of clothes that I have, I've got a pair of rain pants that weighs like four ounces, and I've got a little uh, DWR, durable water repellent jacket, again, uh, by a Z-Pack, and it weighs two ounces. So, yeah, I... I'm comfortable on the trail. I can get by if I'm out there and it's nasty and cold and rainy. You're not going to have to come out there and drag my ass out of the woods. I'm, I'm going to be all right with six pounds. So there you go. <laughs> and I know that simplifying and downsizing your pack has been an evolution and something that has played a part in your ability to be able to continue these odysseys. I'm also aware that simplifying your possessions and just life overall has been a growing emphasis for you in other aspects of your life as well. Is that something that you'd want to talk about? Of course. And, and thanks for that opportunity. And if I can, if I can spread a little bit of wisdom in that category, uh, I'm happy to, um, Folks will come over to me with their 40-pound pack, and I say, never will. Go through my pack and show me what I don't need. And I say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But if I've got time and I have enough interest that I want to spend time with that individual, I'll just tell them, I said, look, right over there, you dump your pack out. Just dump everything out, put it in a pile there. Kind of spread it out so we can kind of see what all the junk you got that you're carrying with you. And then over here, I'm going to take my pack and I'm going to dump my stuff out. What I want you to do is look at what I got and uh, look at what you got and then look back and look at what I don't have that you got and then see if you can figure out how in the hell can I get by without all this stuff that you got. So it just puts a monkey back on their back to, and so they're not in a defensive mood when I say, well, you don't need this or you don't need that. Uh, and it is a, it's a matter of evolving and each individual has to go through that. Some people are happy and content and could care less that they're carrying a 25 pound pack. And the last thing they're interested in doing is, is getting their pack weighed down to 10 or 12 pounds. I had a dear friend. I encouraged him for the longest time. He was carrying 30 pounds and griping all the time about it. I said, man, here, lift my pack. He said, oh, geez, that's beautiful. I said, well, why don't you just get rid of some of the junk you're carrying? So he did. He went out and spent grand or two grand on all the latest lightweight gear. He was on the Florida Trail, hiked a lot down there. And after a month or so, he come back to me. And he said, man, well, I, want, I just, I like my old pack. 
I like the fact that I'm that I got some weight on my back. And he said, I just I was comfortable with the light gear. I was comfortable with uh, how I was living with that. But I just I'm just happier if I've got this weight on my back. And I'm and I said, fine, go back to your heavier pack. So that's kind of an extreme example, but it's involving. Pro- In my case, it was out of necessity. There's no way on earth that I could be carrying a 20 or 30 pound pack. Now I just, my knees, my legs, my back, as you get older, you, you lose muscle tone. Actually, you just lose muscle. You, you lose uh, the, the smooth fiber. I mean, it's just gone. And when it's gone, your strength goes with it. So there's just no way that I could be carrying a 25 or 30 pound pack anymore. So in my case, it was, if I wanted to continue, it was out of necessity. So if you want to reduce your pack weight, if you want to go through that painful evolution of going from 30 pounds down to 8 or 10, it's easy to get to 15, and it's not terribly expensive. To get from 15 to 10 is a little different deal, and you're going to have to get your wallet out. And to get below 10, uh, I've just been blessed to have these wonderful people that sponsor me and provide gear for me because I probably couldn't afford, couldn't afford it otherwise, but the gear is well worth it. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, this, uh, quilt I have, I have a 30 degree. And then more recently, uh, they provided me with a 20 degree, uh, quilt. And I don't think it weighs maybe a little over a pound, which is just incredible. But to get below 12 or 13 pounds, to get down in the 10-pound range or below, it's just incredibly expensive. And uh, I've had the pleasure and uh, the good fortune that, that I've been provided with this kind of gear. So it's an evolving process. I can't tell you what to carry in your pack and what you need or what you don't need. you got to figure that out yourself. And you live very simply according to a couple of articles that I've come across in your off-trail world as well. I know, obviously, you spend a lot of time there at Flag Mountain, um, and this has been a progression since your career as as an optometrist, you said? Yes. Uh, I guess, can you kind of talk us through your philosophy of simplifying your life off the trail? Well, the joys that we have, uh, the pleasures we take in life. Again, I think it's because I've evolved a little deeper into having some degree of wisdom. It's not things. It's We all have friends that are wealthy, have every damn thing that you can imagine you could ever buy that once you get to know them or around them, they're just not fun or they're not fun to be around or happy people. So it's, Things have nothing to do with the joy of living and the happiness. They can certainly provide convenience for us, but it t- it took me the longest time to to come to that realization that it's not the things that we have that create a uh, a fulfilling or a happy life. I tell my friends, I said, I tell them that every year I've got less and less. And every year I'm a happier person. I just can't wait till I don't have anything. So here on Flag Mountain, 
I can back my old beat-up pickup truck up to the door here. Give me 10 minutes. Now, can you do this? Give me 10 minutes and I can load every physical possession that I have in my life into my truck and I can get in and crank it and I'm gone. Yeah, I just, I'm down to two or three Walmart bins that have my clothing and a few of my memorable items that I want to look at and cherish from time to time. But, uh, and my gear, I've got my gear, of course, but I have very little, almost no physical possessions anymore. And I don't know, you can't see me, you're talking to me, but you can't see me. But I think just from the tone of my voice, hopefully, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm projecting, uh, I'm, I'm projecting, uh, uh, the type of, of, uh, of an experience that you're, that you have there that seems to be happy and joyful. I'm a happy, joyful person. I don't have crap. <laughs> yeah. I- Certainly a lot of vitality and wisdom. Um, and again, I keep veering off of the, the recent AT hike. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back there. Cause I know a lot of people listening are very intrigued by that, but I know at one point you were met up with Dale Graybeard Sanders, who was the previous oldest through hiker, uh, title holder. Can you talk about that experience? Was that a special moment to spend some trail miles with, with Dale? Oh, Mike, and, and yes, and again, thank you for providing me the, the opportunity to, to talk a little bit about Greybeard. Uh, he is a very caring and loving and, and honorable man, and I've just got to be great friends with him. He lives in a little community over in northern Memphis, and so we get together from time to time and uh, share our experiences and go through our kind of trials and tribulations. And so we have a lot of that in common. Uh, <laughs> we were talking one day and I said, Greybeard, I said, uh, how does your neck work? Can you swivel your head around? So if you can imagine what I'm doing here, I'm turning my head way to the left and turning my head way to the right. I said, can you do that, Greybeard? And he said, well, sure, I'm, I'm flexible. I'm and he'd swing his head to the left and around to the right. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Greybeard, you better look behind you because I'm coming up behind you. And you know what he said? Because he had encouraged me. He said, what are records for? Hmm. He drove two days, two solid days to get from Memphis uh, up to Massachusetts, to Dalton, Massachusetts. He was standing on the steps of Tom Lombardi's porch with the greatest and the most joyful smile on his face when I walked up the sidewalk and he greeted me and welcomed me and passed uh, passed on that record to me in the most joyful, happy way. I just, oh, I get emotional. I just, Greybeard's a dear friend. Here's, here's how I finally resolved this and, and squared this all up. I said, Greybeard, I was older than you. I'm older than you now than you were when you finished your hike. A few months. I said, whoopee damn do. I said, it's, it's not a big deal. I'm So 
I hold the age record now for being the oldest to through hike the Appalachian Trail. But I tell you what's even more important here and of greater uh, value to us and to everyone and to give them inspiration, perhaps. We're going to start a new club, Graybeard. And we're going to call that club the Appalachian Trail Through Hiker Octogenarian Club. And right now there's two of us that belong to that, only two. And hopefully that'll give encouragement to others. So we're sharing the joy in that limelight. Uh, I'm not superior. He's not inferior. There's nothing there, comparatively speaking. I mean, what the hell? You get to be 80 years old. What's another three or four months one way or the other? And that's the way we've decided to look at it. So Graybeard and I are together on this thing, and hopefully in the next while somebody will come along at age 84 and knock this thing down and we'll have or whatever as long as they're over 80 they're welcome to join this octogenarian club so that's how i deal with it uh graybeard is a dear dear friend uh a very humble man he likes he's more outgoing than i am uh if you're in a room, you'll know Graybeard is there. <laughs> He'll be dancing and singing and full of vim and vitality and energy. I I guess I'm kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum, but it has nothing to do with what we have in common and the joy we can share as friends. We're just dear friends. Somebody listening to this, if they wanted to know the secret to doing this at your age or Greybeard's age, or even to have the idea to do it. Like I, I can't imagine in, if I get to my eighties, having the idea to through hike the AT seems like an excellent goal, but is there one thread between you and Greybeard or something within yourself that you can point to that has allowed for you to stay, um, motivated to want to pursue these goals? We have, I guess, one of the things we have in common that attributes to an enormous extent to our success is that during our life, we had set other goals that seemed insurmountable at the time that we were able to uh, successfully uh, complete. Uh, I don't know if perhaps you do know that Greybeard holds some other records uh, as far as spearfishing, uh, up until recently, he held the age record for uh, Source to Sea. Source to Sea is the Mississippi River from the outfall at Lake Tasca all the way to the mouth of the Mississippi. He had done that at age 80, I guess. So he had set goals in his life that seemed insurmountable, and yet he had the stamina, the endurance, and the and the drive and the determination to complete those. And so we, we share that in a similar way. My first long distance hike, then all the other hikes since I turned 60 years of age, tens of thousands of miles. These are goals that I set for myself and achieved. So setting goals and achieving goals for Graybeard and for myself was something that we had 
been accustomed to doing. So when I tell you I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, you better damn uh, realize that I'm going to get it done because uh, that's just the kind of determination that I have and the uh, uh, the will that, that Greybeard has to achieve whatever he sets out to do. Uh, no one likes to fail. No one likes to be known as uh, being a failure in whatever they attempt to do in their life, no matter how enormous or how small that goal might be. So we had set smaller goals earlier on and then larger goals. And then finally, what seems to be just almost uh, unbelievable goals that we've been able to achieve. But uh, I think that's it. I think that's, I don't think you're going to go out and just jump onto some big grand scheme and be successful or the likelihood that you're going to be successful if you haven't had some experience uh, down below that to some extent. So we both have done that, and uh, fortunately, and with God's help and with the joy and the blessings that have come to us, I've been able to set goals that seem insurmountable, and we've been able to overcome whatever the sort of things you have to overcome uh, to achieve those, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I Just like I'm doing now, shoot my mouth off about this, but I know a lot of different quotes from an awful lot of different people. And I think one of the neatest quotes I've ever read was from Walt Whitman. And uh, so I'm going to take that and run with it here. Walt said, if you've done it, it ain't bragging. So, uh, Greybeard has accomplished some amazing things in his life. And I guess I've managed to do some things in my life that people didn't think could be done. And I'm very proud of that. Very proud of it. As you should be. And it certainly does not come across as braggadocious. You are a living mm-hmm. legend. Um, yeah. So it sounds like an important takeaway. Something that I'm going to internalize is the importance of goals and having a purpose and having the goal match your experience. Obviously, like you said, you can't go for something too grandiose beyond what you're capable of. But having that sense of purpose is a very driving, motivating factor for you. Well, I could have quit any given day after about the first hundred or so days out there. It, it got to wearing on me pretty bad, and, and it affected my level of joy and, and happiness I was experiencing. It, uh, it was an incredible challenge, and any given day I could say, to hell with this, I'm going home. And then out of my ability to gain strength and just rejuvenate myself and come up with a little better attitude next morning. I'm ready to put my pack on and go again. And, uh, I don't know that that's so much my makeup, but it's kind of what I drove myself to do. And, uh, this was a t- tough, tough hike. It just in increments, uh, the duration of it wore on me. And then as you well know, uh, there's trail in the south and in the mid-Atlantic states. It's difficult, but, man, you hit that wall when you get up there into the whites. and The uh, the Mahoosics just beat me to death. I had a heck of a time uh, through those mountains. They're just, 
yeah, I could have I could have quit almost any day, but I had had so many people uh, rooting for me, praying for me, encouraging me. There just was no way I could not do that. So, yeah, I did it, but I did it through the help and the support and the prayers and encouragement from a whole heck of a lot of wonderful people. And I know we're getting close to what I said our lot of time was. And actually, we're over that already. Um, but I guess as a closing note for the AT hike, can you talk us through your emotional state or what it felt like to complete the through hike? Yeah, and that kind of goes, it begs and it goes back to the original question that you're always asking. You don't want to hear that question. And the reason you don't want to hear that question is because you don't know the damn answer to the question. <laughs> and that question is why in the world, why, why did you do this or why are you doing this? And I, I, uh, fretted over that and, and, uh, labored over that and frustrated over that for months and months during a variety of my previous hikes. And uh, I've got a, Zach, I got it boiled down to, uh, I think it's, it's 33 words and it goes like this. It's the people. You notice what's first here? It's the people, the places, the pain and the trials. It's the joy and the blessings that come with the miles. It's a calling going out to a fortunate few. The wonder, the fringes of God's hazy blue. That's beautiful. Is that mm-hmm. is that original poetry? Uh, I think if everybody asks me, are you going to write another book? Uh, the book I have out now currently is the second edition of a book I wrote back in 2004, but it had become so very popular. It was sold out and out of print for years and years that it was selling on the after market on the used book market in excess of $500 for a dang paperback book. Wow. So I brought it out in the second edition. That's my southbound hike, which included Newfoundland, 5,400 miles. Uh, it's entitled where less the path is worn. Thank you very much for letting me get the plug in. Um, if I come out with another book, I'll probably, and, and that was published and, it's been out of print for years now. And my book on poetry, and that—that's uh, one of those poems that's in that book, the one I just recited to you. That is beautiful. I I hope mm-hmm. more of these books become available because uh, I don't want to have to drop a few hundred bucks on eBay. But don't tempt me. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess as a parting question i'll leave it slightly open-ended is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know that we haven't touched on already um i guess general pieces of advice or just any sort of parting thought that you'd like to leave for the listeners of backpacker radio oh both of you you've asked some you've asked me some really pertinent questions try to answer them as best i could uh, pretty all-encompassing i think 
Uh, just let me get in one more plug. It's nimblewillnomad.com. Uh, my books are for sale or access to my books where you can purchase them or on my website. This last, all of my journeys now, uh, I've kept a daily journal entry. This one particularly, I've painstakingly every day tried to write something that had a little bit of value to it. And these new smartphones have got incredibly wonderful cameras. And I was able to take a lot of really neat pictures and Folks have complimented me not only on the daily journal entries, but on the pictures that are stuck in the margin right next to whatever I might have been talking about at that moment, uh, pictures I took along the trail. So I'd encourage folks to go to nimblewellnomad.com if they're inclined to and want to take the time. There's a journal entry for each and every of the 261 days of this last hike. And so thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, listeners, it's nimblewillnomad.com. I highly encourage you to check it out. Nimblewill's got a ton of wisdom, as um, unfortunately we can only get through 80 minutes of his illustrious backpacking career here, but there's a lot more on the website. Uh, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been a true pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah. Okay, take care. Whether you're on a day hike or a multi-month backpacking trip, smart trekkers seek the comfort of merino wool. That's the kind of comfort and protection you get from minus 33. I've been a huge proponent of merino wool dating all the way back to my first thru-hike, AT 2011 drink. Minus 33 offers a quality product at a very reasonable price, which is not true for a lot of the merino brands out there, and you know who I'm talking about. I've had a chance to test a handful of Minus 33's products, including the Trailblazer Midweight Full Zip Hoodie, which is my current do-it-all mid-layer. This bad boy features two hand pockets to keep your paws warm for those early morning summits, a chest pocket big enough for your smartphone, thumb holes, more hand warmth, and looks damn nice to boot. Whether you're in the market for a quality and affordable base layer, mid layer, or some new pairs of merino socks, Minus 33 has got you covered. And here's the part that you've been waiting for. Backpacker Radio listeners can score a 15% discount at Minus 33. Head to Minus33.com and use promo code 21BACKPACKER15 to get 15% off your first order. That's 21, the number, BACKPACKER15, the number again, to get 15% off your order at Minus33.com. Don't wait on this deal as it's only good for a limited time. To the Trek propaganda portion of today's show. Is there a title sponsor? Yes. Did I not say it? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. Did you? I thought I said it. My bad. I might have missed it. No, it's a good plug for I Index sure IQ. I didn't hear it. <laughs> Index IQ, our title sponsor. Uh, Should we just leave show. this in here so that they know how much Elise is our brain? Yeah, she's keeping track of us. <laughs> or how much I spaced out when Zach first said it. And... I, did, I did fly through it. I'm pretty sure I said it, but if I'll redo it if not. We'll send them an invoice for their second shout out. There you go. Uh, Trek propaganda. The first one, I don't need to go into it, is we covered the feat of Nimble Will Nomad's recent record-setting hike on the AT, and we talked about that in some good depth here, obviously, today. The one I want to touch on a little bit deeper is our thru-hiker gift guide, and this one is specifically for purchases under $50. So if you're listening to this and there's the special backpacker in your life, or maybe you're just looking to treat yourself... 
I'm the special backpacker in my life. There you go. This is a pretty long list of items. Uh, I'd say a lot of these are well under 50 bucks. Um, but yeah, if you're looking to make a, an aspiring hiker trashes day without breaking the bank, this post has got it for you. I'm going to touch on a couple of my favorite items here. Uh, we've got the give and go underwear from ex officio. Uh, there's both the men's and the women's. I'm a lover of Saks underwear. Personally, I believe Saks is only guys underwear. Um, Merino wool socks. You can't go wrong. We've got darn tough and in in here. Minus 33 is a sponsor of ours. They're excellent as well. Doesn't matter what company you get it from. You're going to make any hiker happy with Merino wool socks, uh, buffs, buffs do it all, especially in the age of COVID, which unfortunately is still here. Uh, it can double as a mask. So someone doesn't have to carry a dedicated mask when in town, they can just pull it over their face, even though they're not the most effective, but no one wants to hike with an N95. This is going well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's keep going. What else can they get? I'm just going to read through some more here okay. because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. DCF wallet. Cool. Got to have the hiker wallet. You're not going to carry a big ass leather wallet with you. I think this is one thing that a lot of people don't consider. I see a lot of people just throwing it into a Ziploc bag too. It's nice or to not. Or the old uh, hair tie trick. Yeah. I've seen that. Either way, I don't recommend the Ziploc bag, even though it's cheap and light. Uh, you don't want people to necessarily see how much cash you're carrying on you. I wouldn't recommend that, but to each his or her own. How much cash do you carry on you? I got like probably between six and seven grand on me right now. Oh, nice. I'm going to beat you up behind the building when we leave. Yeah. Uh, I'll go left, you go right. And this is something that most aspiring through hikers are not going to have unless they've started their gear acquisition process is an anchor uh, and something that I would say 99% of through hikers use. Maybe not quite that much, but. It's nearly unanimous. I also use mine in real life quite often. So. Same. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm too far from a outlet and just yeah. feeling lazy, like it's, it's nice to be able to be portable or to be able to lounge yeah. on the couch and be able to charge your phone at the same time. So. It is a great Christmas present or slash holiday present and it's, it fits in a stocking and you could ask for the same present every year and I think they would still all be useful. Not because like they break a lot, but I do just what Zach does, where if my phone charges in my room by the bed and I'm sitting on the couch, I literally take my hiking anchor and I just plug my phone into it and then sit on the couch. So it mm -hmm. um, gives you a lot of freedom to move with your charge. Mm -hmm. Not an ad. You're also everyone's favorite person if you're at a music festival or something or oh, just somewhere yeah. out and about. The bar, dinner. Yeah. Literally and, anywhere. Yeah. And doing that trick extends the life of your phone by another one or two or maybe even more years. Cause that's Days. usually that's the thing that causes me to replace my phone is the battery life is too bad. Like I can't get through a full day. Um, but yeah, if you've got a portable charger, you extend the life on it. Uh, one last thing I want to point out here because I think it's very relevant to through hiking is the Tokes light titanium 550 milliliter pot. Uh, this is a dirt cheap pot. It's 30 bucks and it only weighs 2.6 ounces. I know many through hikers that have used this exact stove. I actually used one similar to this from a different company. Um, but from all reports, it's a great stove, very budget friendly and super light. So can't do bad with that option. Okay. I'm going to stop talking gifts. If you guys want to see more. Also, fun fact about it, the the pot, right? You were talking about the Tokes pot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was oh, nervous I about was the stove itself. Is it just the pot? I don't know. Oh, you you said pot. two things. It is I the think. pot. Yeah. Um, but just in case you're worried about it, because I b bought this size to try and save weight and I wasn't sure if it was going to fit an entire thing of mac and cheese, but it 
does. So, and it's tight, but it fits. Uh, so what stove would I th- They do sell stoves, but this is not, none of these are the ones <laughs> I was actually thinking of. I'll have to figure it out. This is the one that uh, Jabba used on the PCT, and I know it was very cheap as well, but it's not Tokes. Uh, okay, this is going well. Next <laughs> Sorry segment. to steal your thunder. But. Next segment. Uh, the Triple Crown of Rooms in the House. This is, yeah. We were stuck on ideas and Chauncey threw this out. We all got a giggle out of it, and we're going to attempt it now. All righty. Triple Crown of Rooms in the House. As the uh, first um, to go, is what I'm assuming by the gap in conversation there, I'm going to go with like the, the den slash man cavey, like not the living room where you bring people, but like the same thing as the living room where you like watch your sports, play your games, like it's a little more cozy, a little less keep it looking nice for the neighbors, you know, type vibe. Um Etc. Etc. If you're in the Midwest, it's probably in the basement. Yes, actually, ours is in the basement, but I'm not in the Midwest. Oh well, anywhere with basements. Yeah, that's that's why I get the cozy vibe is because it's mm-hmm. in the basement and the walls are all wood. Um, versus upstairs, the living room is incredibly clean and always vacuumed. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the downstairs one is too. It just looks more homey. Anyway, neither here nor there. Who's next? Elise. Um. Sure. Sunrooms. My mm. dream house will have a sunroom. Nice. I just need sunlight. Is this going to act as like a partial greenhouse as well? Are you going to have plants I in here? I am not a good plant person. No, I should talk to Chance. Chance is all about uh, it. Oh, my God. If, if we're I measuring don't know. plant skills in membership to Facebook groups, Chance I is I can the give best. us a tangent mini segment on plants because I have learned a lot of stuff since I last mentioned them. We could do a triple crown of plant facts maybe for the next one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't have like a strong desire to take care of plants. They're very nice. I love when other people have them. Yeah. What if, okay, wait, hold on. I can't not. What if, that's how I used to feel. What if, look at this picture. What if somebody watered them for me? Sure. No, 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 not that. What if you knew that people were buying little plant leaves for insane amounts of money. Oh, like, and I'm not talking about marijuana. I think we did this in the previous Propagation. episode. Yeah, but like there are some plants that are considered rare. We did do this on the previous, but it's like they'll pay for just like a little leaf. Like there's ones where I sent it to my friend. Thousands of dollars. Thousands. Look at this. That's a leaf. That's yellow. $3,500 shipped. Wow. Huh? What about this one? That one's a skinny leaf. And he is 2,200 sold. Wow. It blows my mind. That one's $5,400 for that leaf. So this is akin to collecting exotic fish, right? Yeah, yeah but like they don't. Like, yeah. I also wouldn't be good at that. Yeah, same. Definitely <laughs> wouldn't care enough about fish. I just am like mind blown. Yeah. We, can, we can do this on another segment, that, but that, I've learned a lot having recently. having too much money and not knowing what to do with it. Um, okay, here's the thing, though, because I was asking this, and Elise is here, so this is good, because you put money into the stock market, and you hope to beat the stock market, which means you go up 10% by the next year, correct or incorrect? I don't hope to beat the stock market. You hope to make money, I think. I think 10% was what I, okay, anyway, anyway. (laughs) You get a little plant. The amount it grows from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and the amount for, like, a plant like that that you then sell it for in its bigger form when you then take the leaves apart. So they're doing it as an investment, not as... Because well, my question is, is it more profitable than the stock market to sell plants? 
I mean, you'd have to have a pretty big operation. It just depends on the level of investment and a lot of yeah. particulars. I would say most people are not billionaires because they're growing exotic plants. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a math. All right, back to our, back to room that out. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just I'm, that's all I pay attention to yeah. right now. Uh, this was going to eat away at me, so I have to do a quick clarification. It was the Soda Windmaster stove, the one that I was thinking of, not a pot. So fuck me in the ass. <laughs> Uh, triple crown rooms. I'm going to take the lowest hanging fruit here. You guys just left this hanging and I can't not take it. The kitchen. It's the most important room. It's where all your sustenance comes from. It's the hangout area when you have people over. Like you have other rooms that are maybe intended to gather people, but somehow people always end up in the kitchen. Um, kitchen from like a real estate standpoint has like dictates the resale value of a house. Learned that through my real estate wife. So if you're looking to put money into a house, the kitchen and the bathrooms are the most important places to put it. But uh, yeah, I, I love to cook and having a nice kitchen is definitely a good thing. And I get two. That one was obvious. This one's maybe less obvious, potentially obvious given the nature of the show, but I'm going to go with specifically the bathroom that has the least amount of traffic. That way when you really have to do some damage, you know that you're not going to offend the other people in the house. And the hidden bathroom is such a good one. Yeah, I, I will oftentimes use our most downstairs bathroom because I know that um, there'll be no commentary about what's going on in there. Do you have to do that anymore now that you've pooped the bed next to your wife? I mean, like, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, it does we, change when it's just the fam. Uh, but when we've got guests over, it's still important to have a bathroom that's secluded in, yeah, ca I guess that's in case true. things go poorly. Somewhere to hide. Yeah, exactly. Nice. I, you know, I've lived in situations where the bathroom is very central and like you almost have to turn on music while you're doing the business. Oh, no. Yeah. My friend has that. It's like right in the kitchen. And when you go over there to like hang out or she'll have some people over to drink you can't go in there for longer than a few minutes because there's like a line of knocking. And when you walk out, everyone who saw you walk in walks back out. Yeah. Um, well, sees you walk back out is what I meant to say. But Yeah. So, so having that privacy entry and exit and just distance from others is uh, a room I cherish very much. Okay, Elise, you're next. Uh, side note, I feel like they should have music in public restrooms everywhere. That's a good idea. Um, Something with a lot of bass. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um I'm going to go with the garage Shit. because, <laughs> sorry, um, as someone who currently lives somewhere with two rooms, one being a bathroom, um, it's just nice to have somewhere to keep all your random stuff, especially with like backpacking and hiking and skiing and all that, that all just kind of, it piles up and having like a separate storage area where you can keep that and like a bike and just you know, that kind of stuff and is nice. And you could work on projects if you're that kind of person. I feel like I have nowhere to do. Like if I don't woodwork, but if I ever wanted to, I have nowhere to do it. But if I had a garage. That's where your shop would be. Yeah. Exactly. You're you buying could keep a power house. tools. You're yeah. buying a house. No, this one won't do. I need a garage. Why? Well, in case I ever pick up woodworking, I just have to have one. Yeah. I need power tools. Oh, we, yeah. We have a friend that moved to a less desirable location specifically because the house had two garages. Ooh. Two garages? Two garages. See, that is living large. Yeah. His wife does woodworking, so she has her own shop. And, See? like, he's huge into bikes and, like, he has an at home gym. That makes sense. Yeah. So. Okay. Mine. Uh, these don't have to be like rooms in our house. These can be like rooms oh, in a house. I would not sure, even sure. have enough to fill the triple crown. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with the wine cellar. 
Mm. Um, you know, like when you have that nice little warm, musky wine cellar full of nice little bottles of wine. Are you a wino? Um, I think I'm becoming more of one than I used to be. I know in college, like I distinctly have a memory pre-gaming for like a frat mixer. And we got a box of Franzia wine and I was like, this stuff is absolute trash. How do adults like it? And okay. now, like, I sit on my living room couch, and it's 4 p.m., and I'm like, well, oh, time for a bottle of red. Um, but it's not Franzia, I'm assuming. No, I've gone up a dollar, so quality is crazy. Um, I think it's three buck chuck now. No, I actually go for the ones in the glass as opposed to the cardboard. I get is... shit for this, but my favorite budget wine is um, Yellowtail. Ooh, I don't like Yellowtail. Oh. Not in, like, a snooty way, but just yeah. in a... You just don't like it. I had it once, and it was a little bitter. I'm I'm recently growing on reds. I was a big okay. rosé person yeah. first, moved into whites, and now I can stomach a red. I'm a Cab Sav girl, so... Okay. Cool. Cool. I don't have nearly developed enough palate. I like wine. <laughs> I like the pink nice. wine, I the like white turtles. wine, and the red wine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, snake. My next one is going to be the attic slash loft. Mm. Um, you know those houses that have, like... The stairs going up to like the half loft or it just like overlooks the living room or they have an attic that they like converted where you can pull down the stairs and it's not unfinished. Um, had a girl in fifth grade I knew named Ariana and her mom turned her attic into her bedroom and it was insane. Um, I was super jealous. But yeah, attics. Very cool. It's Specifically finished ones, mm-hmm. not creepy ones. I don't know if this is stealing that one and if it is i'll i'll pick a different one but um i was gonna say like hidden doors that you then finish the room inside like i've been in houses where they yeah they have those little like i don't know maybe that is this is the same thing the half addicts but specifically like as a kid i always wanted a secret room behind a bookcase or something so houses with secret rooms mm. shout out to like this is a bad example but uh, Crystalia's house in you has the secret mm. like basement. Or um cheaper by the dozen. That one, considering what yeah. happened to his yeah. reputation. So maybe let's show. um yeah, let's move on from that example. And cheaper by the dozen FedEx's room was so cool. Do you, do you remember? It's like I think that I don't even know if that was a secret room, but he has like this treehouse attic thing. Treehouse is a good one. Shit. I wanna Does that count it. as a room? Yeah, why not? Doesn't to be connected to the house, does it? I mean, you could, I guess, say like a treehouse. That would be just sick if you had like an upper stairs porch that like the walkway went out to the treehouse. I like that a lot. Now we're talking balling. <laughs> I, I'm gonna give the most mundane, poor ass answer, but uh, I kind of like the treehouse angle. For my last one, I'm going with the office. This is very not, again not the reference to the show, The Office, but. My office, uh, this is very 2021. I feel like everyone who moves into a place nowadays at least has like a shared space that's considered an office. Now, work from home is everywhere. But just having a spot where I can go in the house and there's not the expectation that I'm available is nice. It's basically like Zach's unavailable room. And uh, to have a little bit of sanctuary is a good thing. I don't always enjoy what's happening inside the office, because I'd rather not be working most of the time, but to have some private space is good. I've got an honorable mention. Go. Um, the shed, but mm. not the shed that you use as a shed, the shed that you don't use as a shed. Like 
this is, I've got a specific example. Um, when we were growing up, our neighbor, John, his parents had a shed in their backyard that they didn't use. So they just like didn't really care what happened in this shed. So we found a couch on a curb and we brought it into the shed and then we took an old TV and we mounted it and it was like a little like Sega uh, Nintendo shed where like we'd all just like convene and play video games after school. Um, and it was like the cool place to go. It was like, we're going to the shed. Like it's our spot, you yeah. know? I think you're describing the poor man's man cave. I had the, a... the, the, you know, eighth grader who doesn't have their own home's man cave. Yeah. But I'm just yeah. saying like, yeah. when you get money, like basically just making a more decorated version of what you're describing. We had a clubhouse and it was the exact same thing. It was a shed that didn't have anything in it. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't have any electricity in it, but we brought in like tables and played school and stuff. We had a uh, toy room when I was a kid, just like there was a room in the house where uh, we could write on the walls and it was just stacked to the brim with all the toys that we Writing had Writing on the walls, that's a true treat. Yeah, just being able to, every, I think every primate has the urge to leave their mark on a thing, which is why Leave No Trace is so important. But yeah, being able to sign like, Zach was here 11 four ninety six was <laughs> the shit back in the day. Yeah, but okay interjection briefly that's how I ended up accidentally signing something that I not accidentally but that's how I ended up signing something I shouldn't have on the PCT because everyone was signing it and I was like this is what we do and oh, then yeah. it turns out that's not what we do so if you're ever a signer as a kid it's not what we do when your parents say it's okay and it's inside your house you can do exactly. it how dare you, you it. leave traces um <laughs> another ob- honorable, honorable mention uh a foyer because Ooh. I feel like that's a sign that there's other great rooms in the house. <laughs> it's okay. the gateway to other great rooms. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a gateway room. I love that. Yeah, just like a good basement. I think that was part of the first answer. But yeah. like just the party room is, I think. The fun room. Fun room. Okay. Five-star reviews. Did we do this one? No. This one is, the title is Stone Cold Taco. I found BPR after my first AT through hike and have binged it on my second AT through hike. Congrats on two. I laugh, I cry, and I thoroughly enjoy the stories and banter while listening. It's a nice feeling to know that if I listened to a whole episode, I should have hiked five to seven miles in the meantime. Some of my favorite interviews would include Sarah Jones Decker, Jabba, who couldn't be intrigued by him, and the Girls Talk episodes. Though my hike of the AT is coming to an end, I'll be sure to listen on the PCT next year. Get it. I know y'all like poop stories, but y'all like puke stories. Let me know and I'll send it in. Thanks again, y'all. Taco Nobo 2018, Sobo 2021. And the answer to that question is yes, we do like puke stories. Really any gross story where human body fluid is involved, send it our way. Uh, If you'd like to have your review read on the show, which they do, Trance. They should email us at... Well, it depends. If you want to have your review read on the show, you should you definitely should go fill to it Apple out Podcasts. Yeah. You can also review us on Facebook. Yeah. I, if, you, if you're one of those people who doesn't have Android um, or you listen on Spotify or whatever, or who doesn't have Apple, sorry, you have Android, um, go ahead and review us on Facebook. If you want to get a mailbag in, that was what I was going for, is email us at the podcast, no, at podcast at the track.co, not the podcast, just podcast. Mm-hmm. That is true. Do we have a mailbag for this one? It doesn't look like we do. doesn't look like it. Uh, okay. Thank you to our title sponsor, Index IQ, part of New York Life. 
If you want to invest in your future while supporting companies that are doing their part to fight climate change, check out their ETF, which is the ticker CLNR, like cleaner. Get it? Thank you to our Chuck Norris Award winners on Patreon. That is Andrew, Austin McDaniel, Jason Lawrence, Christopher Marshburn, Sawyer Products, Brad and Blair from 13 Adventures, Brent Stenberg, Patrick C. and Cialo, Brandon Spilker, and Matt Sukup. You can follow us on social at Backpacker Radio on Instagram and TikTok at BackpackerPod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Backpacker Radio. You can follow. Is Chance back into social media? No, I just did that the other day because I thought it was fun. Um, I might go on TikTok. It sounded nice the other day. Um, it just exhausts me. But you can find me there. I'll probably go back on. I was thinking about posting a plant the other day because that's what I'm into right now. You know, like, I get um, subtle urges to participate. I, I shared a photo of Leo chewing on our trash can today, which I thought was super cute. It's funny because like <laughs> I get, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go back on, and then I think about how many episodes behind I am on the Backpacker Radio posts, and then just, I'm like, just do a okay, ten slide carousel. That's what yeah. I, but that's what I think, and then I just curl up into a ball again, and I'm like, I don't want to go on here anymore. <laughs> Yes. So I just got to go on and post those and pull off the Band-Aid and then see if I want to stay. I don't even think one carousel could get me back up to pace with my social media habits. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Elise. Uh, I actually also just deleted Instagram off my phone, but oh, I shit. will be on it on my computer occasionally at Elise.Ot and we'll see how long All right, lasts, this just in, Instagram's out. Well, and also Elise.Ot on YouTube. Oh, yeah, you've been po- Elise has been posting some really cool videos. Thanks. Sweet. I have to check that out. Uh, Well, thank you so much for listening and happy hiking. Bye. Now you say another word and I swear to God, I will dice you into a million little pieces and put those pieces in a box, a glass box that I will display on my mantle. All right. Now that that's settled, we can have a normal conversation. (laughs) 